is Christian Questions. Joyce Meyer once said, God wants you to be delivered from what you have done and from what has been done to you. Both are equally important to Him. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Christian Questions Talk Radio with a Purpose. With Jonathan and Rick, this isn't your typical Christian commentary. We love talking with our audience, and we promise to never talk at you like so many talk shows do today. This is a conversation about biblical topics as we look at them from a different perspective. And Rick, that perspective is based on godly principles, family values, honest dialogue, all in a politically free zone. Jonathan, the best part is this. We talk and you listen, and then you talk and we listen. You can also contact us at our website, ChristianQuestions.com. I'm Rick. And I'm Jonathan. And we're glad you've chosen to spend some time with us on this fine Sunday morning. And Jonathan, what is our topic this morning? Well, Rick, our question is, Palm Sunday, what is the real story? Sounds like Paul Harvey. <laughs> it does. And now, the rest <laughs> of the story, sort of. And our theme text comes from John chapter 3, verse 17. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. And Jonathan, in just seven days, the Christian world will be enraptured in the celebration of Resurrection Sunday, the celebration of the day, the event that actually changed the course of human history. Uh, And we will too, incidentally. (laughs) What sometimes, though, gets overlooked are the striking events of the week before and the significant part they play in tying Old Testament events in with New Testament fulfillments. Once understood, these connections give life to God's plan through Jesus in a way that solidifies our faith in salvation. So folks, stay with us for this. To me, this is one of those fascinating subjects that I'm just so glad we get to revisit year after year after year. Absolutely, Uh, because new gems appear every time. When you look at the Old Testament and see how it relates to the new, it's like, wow, I didn't know that. And and that's the key, is the two do relate, even though they're they're written very differently and they're about, about very different kinds of things in many ways. There is this correlation between the two that you just can't deny. Faith strengthening. Very, very, very much so. So, let's take a look at this, and today is Palm Sunday, and uh, what is Palm Sunday? Well, we'll get into the actual event uh, in, in a little bit, but let's get into the timing of what was going on just a few days before um, th- this all happened. Now, if you recall... Uh, the raising of Lazarus was not too too long before this. That's right. Literally days before. And that created a major, major stir in the area. Okay? Because people heard of it from all over. And those coming, to the, there were many coming to the city, weren't there? Right, right. And the fact that Lazarus had been dead for four days, that's a pretty dramatic raising of the dead. Oh, yeah. You know, like with Jairus' daughter, when, when Jesus raised that child, you can say, well, maybe she wasn't really dead. You could say that. You could say that. You could make. You, you could. True. You could try to argue that. But with Lazarus, he's in the tomb. The door's closed. Four days. Yeah. So this is a. This is a. Was a dramatic backdrop for what happened. So let's drop in on this whole situation in John chapter twelve, uh, verses one to eight. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. I, I just wonder what 
the, the conversation would have been with Lazarus. So how you feeling? <laughs> you must be feeling really alive right now, huh? <laughs> I don't know. It just would have been this, this, this extra drama because this man literally had been dead and had begun decomposing. I mean, that's, that's, just, that's, that's what we're dealing with here. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? So here you have this, this wonderful, wonderful gesture on the part of Mary, and uh, somebody's complaining. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And it's Judas. And it's Judas. You know, why, why is this money being so poorly spent? Because it was extremely expensive. And Jesus has a very significant answer that puts everything in its right context. Jesus said, Leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. Okay, so Jesus' answer is, this is an, an anointing for the day of my burial. And, and you think about that, and, and if you're sitting there listening, you're saying, What? Huh? Yeah, exactly. what, what is he talking about? But Jesus knew, because, and he knew the events to come, because he knew what the Passover was. And that's what we want to discuss this morning. We want to know what Jesus knew. And so when you see what he did and how he did it and when he did it and why he did it, it all makes incredible sense. You say, well, how did he know all of this? Because he knew the Old Testament account and he knew that that account was literally to introduce him. That's what it was there for. I mean, right. and, and we're, so we're going to start with that premise and sort of work our way backwards into it. So he was at the home of Lazarus the day before entering Jerusalem. And this is when this anointing happens. Mm -hmm. uh, no one told Mary to do this. She, she did it out of, uh, out of her heart. Uh, and it was probably very much related to the, the fact that Lazarus had been raised. Sure. And a great, great, great thankfulness uh, on, on her part for that. Uh, and, and I don't know that she even knew the magnitude of what she was doing in symbol. Well, Wibben's intuition, you might have to Rick, put that little thing in there. Right. Though the disciples didn't really understand or believe Jesus when he told them, I'm going to be turned over to the chief priests and be, be killed. Yeah, so you're right. Probably the women would have listened and said, listen to what he's saying, will you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, women win again, what can I tell you? All right, let's go to John 12, the next few verses, verses 9 to 13. When the great crowd of the Jews learned that he was there. They came not only because of Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. Okay, now see, think about this. So, you got these crowds get, getting together, and you're right. The, the, they're flowing to Passover. Right, so they're all coming to Jerusalem, but the important thing is that they're, the interest in Jesus has been exponentially expanded by the events, and they want to see Lazarus. They want to see the physical proof of what everybody's been talking about. That guy right there, that guy, the one walking next to Jesus. He was dead for four days. He was dead and he's alive. How could that possibly be? What kind of miracle worker is this? And so you have this tremendous, not only curiosity seeking, but this tremendous devotion because that would have sealed a lot of the, the faith of, of the people of that time to say, That's right. Jesus is the man we really should be following. This is the one we've been waiting for. Right, so they're looking to see Lazarus as that physical proof. So the chief priests planned to put Lazarus to death as well, since it was on account of him that many of the Jews were deserting and were believing in Jesus. So when you have a problem, what do you do? 
you stamp it out. And, uh, and you know what? A, what a sad story that is. The guy had already been dead. And these are religious leaders wanting right. to stamp out the problem. And because they were deserting tradition and following after Jesus, and they were afraid for their position. And that's really what the bottom line was. The Pharisees were afraid that they were going to lose their position in terms of the respect of the people uh, and 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 the dealing, being able to deal with Rome and so forth. Folks, if you have a thought, it's eight six six nine eight five four two five five. Toll free eight six six nine eight five four. All we are live Sunday mornings from seven to nine, and that means we're on right now. And the conversation continues online at ChristianQuestions.net. Go to our Facebook page and our blog. Again, that's ChristianQuestions.net. And this morning we're talking about Palm Sunday, and we're talking about Palm Sunday from the standpoint of the Old Testament and the time, the week of Passover, because, Jonathan, Palm Sunday is built directly on the foundation of the Passover events. Directly. There is, it is incontrovertible evidence. Oh, a big word. I know, I know. Very early in the morning. I know, I worked on that for hours. (laughs) (laughs) Incontrovertible evidence that the two are related probably in ways that most of us have never even looked at. And that's really what the value of this morning's discussion, this morning's program will be. So, uh, so okay. So the the where were we? The the chief priests and the, the Pharisees wanted to destroy Lazarus as well as Jesus. That's right. And the next day, the crowd that had come to the festival heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. Okay. So when we look back over these things, what do we see? Lazarus was a spectacle. Spectacle. Can't say that one to the public. He was a spectacle. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, uh, the chief priests and the Pharisees were waiting for Jesus, and now they're waiting for Lazarus as well. Okay. They're they're seeing all of these things. Un, un, unfold and remember when at the point when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead the scripture says it was from that day forward that they sought to put him to death yes so they're looking for their opportunities now they are actually out there plotting against him so they're looking for him and now they're looking for Lazarus because Lazarus is the proof and you've got to get rid of the cause of the problem Jesus and the proof and the proof of the problem That's right. Lazarus and word traveled through the multitudes that they also waited for Jesus. So, and when we talk about multitudes, we're talking a little while about what kind of multitudes there were. This is breathtaking. And it is. And last point. Jesus entered Jerusalem and the hearts of the people on the 10th of Nisan. So, on the 10th. So, what does that mean? Well, we're going to get into that in the next segment. What is, so, so he enters Jerusalem on the 10th day of Nisan. Okay, well, big deal. What does that mean? Well, that means, it's an incredible thing what it means. Because, well, I'm getting ahead of yeah, myself. Don't right. say because. Yeah. <laughs> Wait. Don't answer your question. Um, so, let's look at the account of the Palm Sunday event. And we're going to do that by, and so we won't, we're going to be combining Matthew 21, 1 to 11, Mark 11, 1 to 11, Luke 19, 28 to 44, and John 12, 12 to 19. Uh, and trying to put all four of the Gospels together on this to try to get all of the points from each of the Gospels because some bring out some things and others bring out other things. Right. So let's sort of lay the groundwork according to the Gospels here. When they were approaching Jerusalem at Bethpage and Bethany, near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Just say this, the Lord needs it and will send it back here immediately. 
So and it's just an interesting thing. Jesus is saying, go there. He's not giving them a, a, a name or an address. <laughs> He's just saying, this is what you're going to see. And somebody's going to ask you, and here's what you answer, and everything's going to be fine. And you're thinking, how does he know that? And again, you know, the Son of God knows things. That's all. That's what it boils down to. Go ahead. This took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Look, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written of him and had been done to him. So... Here, what you have is Jesus knows this is the way he has to enter Jerusalem because you have the, uh, the prophecy uh, that, that says that he's going to end, uh, your king comes to you humble, multi, uh, mounted on, on the colt, the foal of a donkey. He wants to fulfill every jot and tittle of the law. So he realizes that he has to put things in place because when the prophecies of God were written, they were written to be fulfilled. That's right. And Jesus knows he is at the very moment when these things are going to be fulfilled. So he is just putting everything in place so that things will happen exactly the way they're supposed to. Now, some of these things are beyond his control. We're going to see in a little while. Mm -hmm. But he is saying, okay, this is what you have to do. This is how you have to do it. This is where you're going to do it so we can do what God has set forth for us to do at this very important time in world history. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject, Palm Sunday. What is the real story? Could it be just a coincidence that Passover and Palm Sunday are in the same week? Or is there more to it? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan, here with Rick, and our subject this morning, Palm Sunday. What is the real story? To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now on our website, christianquestions.com or .net. And Jonathan, as we go through this uh, story of Palm Sunday, which is today, uh, we are looking at it from the standpoint of understanding what its origins are and Look, we realize its importance in relation to Jesus in, in, in riding into Jerusalem and, and, and so forth. But what we need to realize is that that event was really part of something much bigger than that one event. Mm-hmm. And that's why we're looking at this from the standpoint of, of uh, the Passover. Now, remember the Passover was instituted way back in Exodus chapter 12 when uh, Israel was being delivered from Egypt. Yes. And they were had been in captivity for a long, long time, uh, and they were now on the verge of actually being released. This was, this was Israel's Independence Day. That's true. You know, Passover signified their freedom. From slavery. Right. So let's remember that thought as we go through it. As a matter of fact, let's go back to Exodus 12, uh, verse 14, just to get a sense of the importance of Passover. And, and folks, if you have a thought, again, it's 866-985-4255, toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9, and that means we're on 
right now. At our website, ChristianQuestions.com. All right, Exodus 12, 14. Now this day will be a memorial to you, and you shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations, you are to celebrate it as a permanent ordinance. So it's very much like, when you think about it, it's very much like July 4th in in the United States. That's right. July 4th, Independence Day, it's a holiday, you celebrate it because that was the signing of the declaring of our independence. Mm -hmm. Well, here... This was not the signing of a declaration of independence. God had declared their independence, and this was the deliverance from slavery to their independence. This is the very dramatic Independence Day. So, let's continue looking at the the events unfolding in the New Testament uh, from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John uh, regarding Palm Sunday. They went away and found a colt tied near a door outside in the street. As they were untying it, its owner asked them, What are you doing, untying the colt? They told them that Jesus had said, and they allowed them to take it. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks on them, and he sat on them. So it's interesting because it happens exactly the way Jesus says it. Yes. And you gotta, you got to think, if, if I'm one of the, the, the disciples going to do what Jesus said, and we go and we say, oh, look, there's the donkey and the, and the colt right there. Huh, just kind of like what he said. Okay. And then you go, and the owner says, well, what are you doing untying my animals? And... So you say, well, what am I supposed to say? Oh, wait, I know what I'm supposed to say. Jesus told me what to say. Yes. So you say, well, the Lord has need of them. And the owner's response is, okay, that's all I need to know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you've got to walk away from that thinking, that little part of the event thinking, wow, there's something amazingly special happening right here, right now. And, and I'm, I'm sort of... Not only am I watching it unfold, but I get to be a part of it. That's neat. Uh, it is. It, it just, it's mind-boggling to me if you, you, when you see things like that happen. Uh, so let's go back now to Exodus chapter 12, verse 3, as God is explaining to Moses how the Passover is supposed to unfold. On the tenth of this month, they are each one to take a lamb from themselves, according to their father's households. A lamb for each household. So, of course, this was the final night. Remember, there had been the nine plagues. That's right. And this was the tenth plague, the plague of the, the, uh, of the death of the firstborn. And this was the protective measure. So, the death of the firstborn was going to happen a few days later, but on the tenth, they're supposed to take a lamb for each household uh, in, into each household. Yes. Okay, so you've got this taking of the lamb into the household, and then you've got this as spoken of in in Exodus. And then let's just go back to the uh, Zechariah prophecy just briefly about the riding into Jerusalem. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So you have the Exodus... Uh, commands, if you will, in Exodus 12, that says, okay, all of Israel, now think about this, all of Israel is supposed to take a lamb into their household, and they were instructed the lamb should be enough, they were going to slaughter this lamb, mm-hmm. and should be enough to feed the family. Right. Okay, uh, so they're taking that lamb into their household, and on this specific day, and this is part of the forever perpetual celebration God told them to, to do, and then you have the Zechariah prophecy that says that your king is going to come to Jerusalem mm-hmm. riding in 
on a, the, a cult, the fall of a donkey. So you're putting these Old Testament things together, and you're seeing how Jesus is obedient to that vision and obedient to those commands and doing exactly what he is supposed to do. This is the same day, the 10th of the month. Right. Okay. okay. So on the 10th of the month, Jesus is going to ride into Jerusalem in fulfillment of Zechariah 9 as the lamb in fulfillment of uh, Exodus 12. Is being brought into the house right. that same day. Right. Now, now let's go to a quick soundbite here. And folks, again, if you have a thought, it's 866-985-4255. Toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. And that means we're on right now. And don't forget to check out CQ Rewind. Uh, CQ Rewind has a lot of bonus material, uh, a lot of graphics and illustrations that help bring out all these features and the things that we don't have time to even cover. Yeah, and a lot of the scriptures we're reading, you know, we're not giving where they're coming from. Right. But that's all going to be in CQ Rewind, so you can check it for yourself. And as, like as we combine the four Gospels to get this story as accurate as possible, you want to see how well, what lines are coming from which Gospel good, and, and, good. and how they fit. That's all there in CQ Rewind, the full edition. Uh, sign up for that at ChristianQuestions.com. In this soundbite, Jonathan, it's an interesting, uh, it's from Marantha Chapel TV, uh, and it's an interesting discussion on the selection of the lamb uh, from the, the, the times of ancient Israel. Let's listen to some of the things that, the, that the, uh, the, the pastor here is talking about. So after lamb selection day, you've got four more days. They would put that little lamb in a special pen and watch it to make sure that if the next day or two days, all of a sudden something you hadn't seen, a blemish comes out or some infection or rash, woohoo! We found a, well, this one's no good. We've got to get another one, right? So they were literally, every day, they were inspecting that lamb every single day to make sure, and by the fourth day, when the sun began to set, tomorrow's Passover, and finally after the fourth day of inspection, on the eve of the 15th of Nisan, uh, which is Passover, they go, Whew. it has no spots, no blemishes. Tomorrow, my sins for the year are going to be washed and cleansed and forgiven and forgotten by God. So it gives you a sense of as uh, Israel celebrated uh, this, this Passover, the, the, the Passover wasn't just that one night in the feast. Right. You know, you know we, we're, we live in a soundbite society. You oh, know? we do. And when we, you think about it, you, the celebration, you, you distill it down to just the, the core well, the core of this whole thing was a week long. It was a process. Yes. And the first part of the process was choosing that particular lamb without blemish. And keep inspecting it over the next four days, which I thought was an interesting point. But have it in your house. Mm -hmm. Have it uh, with, living with you. And it's young. It's only, it's, it's about a year old. And it's so cute. <laughs> well, yeah, because it's, it's, it's innocent and it is the most perfect specimen that you could find amongst your flocks. So you take the best of the best of the best, you bring them to the house, and there was this inspection process as well as this attachment that was happening to the family. Absolutely. The, the kids would just love it as a, like a pet. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, and, and that... They, you're going to kill that pet now. You know, a PETA would have a <laughs> have a heart attack with this thing. But look, that's the way it was. And, and it was a sacrifice uh, to, to, to cleanse them of their sins. A very, very important thing. Let's go back now. Uh, again, folks, if you have a thought, it's 866-985-4255. Toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now. And our website, ChristianQuestions.com. 
Uh, and Jonathan, just a, a quick quick point on on the, on the website and, and Facebook and all of that, folks. You certainly go check us out at Facebook. You can like us on Facebook as well. Uh, we've been getting some great great comments and feedback, both on the website uh, and Facebook. Uh, to the blog that we have going on, uh, and so and and even emails. You can email us at Rick R I C K at ChristianQuestions.net. We love getting input and responses from you uh, because that helps the conversation to continue, and that's really what this is all about. Absolutely. All right, let's go back to the uh, uh, the event of Palm Sunday, the original Palm Sunday, when Jesus is now getting ready to come into Jerusalem. Oh, oh, okay, I'm sorry. I, right, before we do that, let's read Exodus 12, 5. You're looking at me like, what are you doing? Your lamb shall be an unblemished male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to kill it at twilight. So, it's specific that you take that, in, you keep it for four days, and then it is to be killed and eaten that, 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 uh, that uh, later that same night. So now let's go, now let's go to, okay. the, to the original Palm Good Sunday. idea. Oh, thanks, Jonathan. You know, I, I try hard. As he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, many people spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut in the fields. Among them was the whole multitude of the disciples and the crowd that had been with them when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead. It was also because they heard that he had performed this sign that the crowd went to meet him. So you have people thronging to the events, and people are spreading their cloaks on the road, and they're spreading leafy branches, that's where we get Palm Sunday from, right. they had cut you know, on the ground before him and after him, so this is a big, big thing. We want to go to just a, a soundbite from the movie Jesus of Nazareth, just for a little bit, to get the sound and the feel of what it must have been like. Listen to this. He raised Nazareth from the dead. Who is this Jesus of Nazareth? He's a prophet. A great prophet. A prophet? On the donkey? Give you a sense of the, the sort of the chaos, yes, the that that was ensuing as Jesus is is riding into town, and it's interesting. Uh, the commentator Poole talks about laying the garments on the donkey and throwing it in the way before them was a custom that they used toward princes. Yeah, uh, that's right. That's uh, right. Of ancient times, so it gives you a sense of the royalty that is being reflected here, but. It, in that soundbite, Jonathan, you heard all of that, the crowd noise in the back. Yes. And you yes. wonder, okay, well, what kind of crowd was it? How, how, I mean, how many people could there possibly have been? Because I, I don't know about you, but for me, when I think about ancient times, the numbers automatically shrink. Yeah, because there weren't <laughs> as many people back right, then, right? Right, So you're thinking, it couldn't be that many. What, what are you talking about? 1,000 people? 5,000 people? 10,000? 20,000 people? I mean, you think, boy, that would be an amazing thing, but... It was much bigger than that. It was much bigger than that. This is uh, just just um, read read this one little section from commentator Trap on on the numbers. A very great multitude. The crowd was unified behind Jesus, the son of David, and a very great multitude 
Bondinius saith, he was met at the time by 300,000 Jews. Some were of went before Christ, and some followed after, according to the solemn rites and reverence used to be given to earthly kings in their most pompous triumphs. This was the Lord's own work. 300,000 people. Wow. 300,000. So, if you filled Yankee Stadium mm-hmm. six times... Filled it, filled it to the brim. Wow. Six times. That's what you've got in terms of the people that are there that are gathered outside of Jerusalem. Now, they're in town anyway for Passover. Right. But Jesus has caused this incredible stir, stir amongst the public. And, I mean, you, you heard it in the soundbite. It was, it was hard to understand. It was. And rightfully so. Because when you've got <laughs> 300,000, 300, yeah. it, it is a massive, massive, massive major event. We don't have events too often in our world today that match that That's kind a of good a number. Point. That's a good point. So you have it 2,000 years ago. 300,000 people gathering, and they are, with one voice, proclaiming Jesus as their king. Their Messiah. I mean, talk about something dramatic. Talk about something earth-shattering to, to society and to history at that point. I mean, what were the Roman guards thinking? Right. This is going on. Right. Uh, we're going to be overtaken right. here. Right, because there's just too many people. So you see this and you say, man, there is something really big happening. And when you have something that big happening, you wonder, well, okay, well, how's Jesus going to handle this? Yeah. And, and that, really, that really becomes the, uh, the, the, the situation that has to unfold now because what he does is somewhat of a surprise. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, Palm Sunday. What is the real story? The triumphant entry into Jerusalem. The people proclaim Jesus as their king. Why didn't he save them? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, Palm Sunday. What is the real story? be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now. And our website, ChristianQuestions.net. And Jonathan, as we go through the Palm Sunday event, we try to sort of make it come alive in terms of what happened and, and what Jesus did and how he put all the little pieces in place. Yes. And then he comes riding in. Now, he can't control all of these people coming coming together. No. I mean, he didn't have flyers, you know, <laughs> passed out. He didn't have... This uh, is what I need you to do. Right. He didn't have new spots on the radio. No. He, he didn't do no billboards. Word of mouth. This is the man that raised Lazarus from the dead. We have to go see him and give him our praise. This is the miracle worker. This is the leader. This is our king. Let's recognize that. So it, it's amazing how all of these, these pieces just, just come together. Let's go back to our uh, compiled story from the four Gospels on Palm Sunday. They began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor, David. 
And as you're reading that, I'm just thinking how how many times the word blessed is 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 in those verses. Yeah, it just gives you a sense of the of the drama, and they're all coming from all of these different places, and probably sharing different stories that they've heard of Jesus, mm-hmm. and 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 just and 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 the crescendo is rising and rising. Let's just go back to the movie Jesus of Nazareth for for a moment here again to get the sense of that that chaos and that and that joy that would have filled the crowd. it always helps to have the orchestra in the background oh, for sure <laughs> but it just gives you a sense of the of the drama of the moment and the excitement and the, the yelling out and, i mean the crowd is shouting hosanna uh, okay what does hosanna mean it literally means in the hebrew oh save okay oh save so and 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 oftentimes in the old testament it's used in the context of save us now that's right. That's right. So it's a it is a it is a an acknowledgement of obviously someone who has the power to save. And they're under the iron rule of right, Rome right. right now. And and it's saying not only we acknowledge that you have the power to save but save us now. Now. So th- you have hundreds of thousands of people crying this out uh, to, to Jesus in, in this context. So the crowd is proclaiming that Jesus was the son of David because that's part of what the scripture tells us. That's right. Okay, so they're, they're showing his lineage to be the right lineage. And they recognize him as a prophet. And a healer because they were comparing the great deeds of power that they had seen. So now, again, you have people coming from all different regions uh, of Israel here. And Jesus had traveled through, undoubtedly, through many of their areas. Yes. And yes. many of these people had probably seen Jesus heal. And they'd probably heard him teach. And they're, and they're comparing notes. And, and, and the drama and the excitement is growing because here's the man who's done all of these things. And he just raised a man from the dead who was dead for four days. And here he is riding into Jerusalem. He's our king. He's our savior. Save us now. What a what a what a what a momentum builder! Oh, for sure. Toward changing things at that very moment, folks. If you have a thought, it's eight six six nine eight five four two five five. Toll free eight six six nine eight five four all. We are live Sunday mornings from seven to nine, and that means we're on right now. The conversation continues next hour online and all through the week. Christian questions is live Sunday mornings and on demand with tons of topics to talk about. Featured in our audio archive, CQ Rewind, Facebook, and our blog. Go to ChristianQuestions.com. And folks, again, uh, for the next hour, if you are not, if we're not with you in your area uh, on the radio uh, for our second hour, because the conversation will continue, go to ChristianQuestions.com, click on the Listen Live button, and stay with us for that second hour, because it really begins to develop uh, the story even further. So, so Jonathan, they're seeing the prophet, the healer, they were looking for their deliverance. Uh, that meant that they believed Jesus could deliver them. Yes. So why didn't he? 
That's really the question. Let's go back to Exodus 12, 12 for a moment. For I will go through the land of Egypt on that night, and I will strike down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. So in the account of the original Passover, there is going to, this is going to be a, a, a night, the night uh, before the, this Passover, or the night of the Passover, is going to be a night of, of death. Yes, it is. And they needed to do very specific things to keep themselves from that. That's right. Now, interestingly, the deliverance from Egypt was the escape from certain death of the firstborn. Only. Only. Not, not everyone. They were the ones who were subject to death. That's right. All right? And not the deliverance for the nation. Not yet. So the Passover was not about delivering the nation. It was about delivering the firstborn. Right. All right. Now, let's think about that. Uh, go to Exodus chapter 13, 1 and 2. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever is the first to open the womb among the Israelites, of human beings and animals, is mine. So, and this is after he explains the Passover, the way it's going to work. God says now, Consecrate to me all the firstborn. So the firstborn are a key in God's plan. Oh, yes. They play a very, very, very special role. Well, what does that mean for us? Here, we're, we're looking at the Palm Sunday events. We're mm -hmm. looking at Jesus riding into Jerusalem. What does that mean from a New Testament perspective? All right. Let's take a look at Galatians 3.29. And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So, if you're Christ's, then you are the children of Abraham. So, now that's an interesting phrase, because if you're the children of Abraham, then you inherit the promise. Mm -hmm. Well, what promise are you inheriting, and how do you become the child of Abraham? I mean, obviously, we look at, at the Jewish nation as the children of Abraham. Yes. So, how do we as Christians become the... What, what import does it have that we become children of Abraham here? That's the, that's the important thing. Let's go to... And, and the great thing is... The great thing is, folks, whenever we ask a question, the scriptures always give us the answer. We already know they're giving us the answer, so we're going to ask right. a question so we can get the answer. Okay? Right. So let's take a look at Hebrews 12, 22 to 23, because it puts this all in perspective. But ye are come unto Mount Zion, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn. Okay, so to the general assembly and the church of the... Firstborn. There's the word firstborn. So you have a sense that the Christian community, the true followers of Christ... Now look, let, let, let me be blunt for a moment. We're not talking about those Christians in name only. We're talking about the true followers of Christ. They are called the church of the firstborn. Yes. Is it a coincidence that they just happen to be the church of the firstborn in the New Testament and the firstborn were delivered from death in the Old Testament? I think not. <laughs> <laughs> There's much more to it than that. And, well, you can say, well, yeah, but it could be a coincidence. Well, I don't know. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, and see if that, that will fit. For our Passover also hath been sacrificed, even Christ. So, <laughs> so put it together. You have the concept of the church of the firstborn. You have the idea that if you are Christ's, you're Abraham's seed and you inherit the promise. And then you have the scripture that says, Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed. Now, who was the Passover for again in the Old Testament in, in, in Exodus? It was for the firstborn. firstborn. Right. 
So, so the firstborn were saved as a result of the Passover. Realize that the rest of the, the people of Israel were not in danger of death that night. They were not. So only the ones who were firstborn were subject to die. Now, and, and, and you know, we didn't talk about the, 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 the particulars, but, but in, in the preparation for the, for the, uh, for the Passover, mm-hmm. what, did, what did each household have to do? Well, they had to take the blood of the lamb and put it on the doorpost of the house to identify uh, the protection from the lamb's blood of the firstborn so that the firstborn would be okay. Right. Okay. So what you're saying is that you, the, putting the, the blood on the doorpost was the signal yes. and to, that they were protected. So they were literally protected. They were, their lives were saved. By the blood of the Lamb. That's right. Now think about that, folks. Think about the import of that from the Old Testament account of the original Passover and what it means now that we've read these New Testament scriptures. The lives of the firstborn are literally saved because of the blood of the Lamb. And in that first Corinthian scripture it says, For our Passover hath been sacrificed for us, even Christ. Mm-hmm. So it's saying Jesus is our Passover lamb. That's right. His blood saves the life of the firstborn, the, the church of the firstborn. That's right. So all of this you say, okay, well, no. But again, the question, why didn't Jesus save the crowds? I mean, he had hundreds of thousands of people crying to him, save us now, save us now, save us now. Why didn't he? Well, let's go to, uh, and, and I think we can, we can probably do this whole scripture. Genesis 22, verses 16 to 18. And said by myself, have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing, and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of heaven, and as the sand which is on the seashore. And thy seed shall possess the gates of his enemies. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. All right, now, Jonathan, let, let, let's take this apart and put it back together again, because I think there is a tremendous, tremendous uh, truth and understanding that we can gain from looking at that promise in relation to the things we've just been talking about. This promise was given to Abraham. Because he was sacrificing his son, Isaac. Right, right. And again, you, you see that picture and you say, okay, that, that's an obvious picture of, of God being willing to give his only, only son. That's right. But now, he, in, 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 in response to that, he's saying, in your seed, Isaac, shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Mm-hmm. Now, through Isaac came Jacob, who had 12 sons who became the nation of Israel, the nation of Israel and they were the seed of Abraham. Mm-hmm. But in the New Testament, we're talked about as becoming the seed of Abraham if we are Christ's. That's right. So what it's saying is that if you are Christ, then you're Abraham's seed heirs, inheritors, according to the promise. And what's the promise for? To bless all the families of the earth. So, what seems to be happening here when you put the Old Testament and the New Testament next to each other is in this event of the original Passover, you have the blood of the Lamb saving the lives of the firstborn. Yeah, only. Only. So that, afterwards, the nation will be saved. The rest of them. The nation will be delivered. Yes. So you have a connection between the firstborn going first, being subject to the death, and having to be protected by the blood. 
they are protected, and as a result of that protection, then that blood ends up being applied to the rest of the nation because Egypt no longer wants Israel amongst them. That's right. Like, get out of here, get out of here fast. And what I think it gives us a picture, Jonathan, of the, um, the deliverance of all of the nation, but it wasn't yet. It was in place. The, the, the movement had started, but it wasn't completed. So when they say, when you say, well, why didn't Jesus save them? The answer is he did, but the result just wasn't there yet. Just like the nation just wasn't delivered because the firstborn had to be delivered first. The price for deliverance was paid, but only the deliverance of the firstborn happened initially. The blessing, the delivering of the nation, which symbolizes the world, as we'll get into in the second hour, would be coming later. For Jonathan and Rick, it's Christian Questions. Again, if we're not on in your area, go to ChristianQuestions.com. Click the Listen Live button. Stay with us because the conversation continues. We'd love for you to leave your comments on Facebook, uh, on our blog. Give us response on the website. We love, we love, we love to hear from you. But in the second hour, there's so much more to talk about in terms of Palm Sunday and its true meaning that we can find the hints from in the Old Testament. Again, Jonathan Rick and Christian Questions will be back soon. Palm Sunday. What's the real story? We'll be back soon. Think about it. Christian Questions. Alexander Dumas once said, Unfortunates who ought to begin with God do not have any hope in Him till they have exhausted all other means of deliverance. Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to Christian Questions Talk Radio with your breakfast. With Jonathan and Rick, this isn't your typical Christian commentary. We love talking with our audience. And we promise to never talk at you like so many talk shows do today. This is a conversation about biblical topics as we look at them from a different perspective. And Jonathan, what is that biblical topic for this morning? Well, Rick, our question is, Palm Sunday, what is the real story? And our theme text comes from John chapter 3, verse 17. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. And we are looking at the Palm Sunday uh, event of the New Testament uh, very much in line with the Passover event of the Old Testament. Absolutely, and it's striking how they're related. And there, it, is, it is a... Because the Passover was the, the big event in, in, in the history of, of Israel. I mean, it was the event that God said, you're going to do this every year. Their well. Independence Day, as right. we mentioned last hour. Right, right. Uh, that becomes significant because it was the centerpiece of what Israel was about. Yes. And when we look at Palm Sunday and Jesus, a few days later, his, his crucifixion and resurrection, we realize that that is the centerpiece of world history. Oh, it is. Now, the world doesn't necessarily know that yet. They will. They will in time, but they don't know how important it is, how much of a deliverance was was delivered on that day 2,000 years ago. So we're going through the events of Palm Sunday, and right now, Jonathan, we want to focus on what does the path of deliverance look like? Okay, to become the deliverer, what path had to be trodden 
And it, 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 it's a path of not only personal effort and sacrifice, but it's a path of prophetic fulfillment. Yes, it is. So there's a lot of things involved in this. Uh, and folks, if you have a thought, it's 866-985-4255, toll-free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now. And our website, ChristianQuestions.com. Okay, so let's go to the path of deliverance. We're reading from a combination of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to get the story of Palm Sunday because each of the Gospels adds a little bit here and a little bit there. So we're trying to put them all together to get a a, a full-blown understanding of how the event unfolded. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, order your disciples to stop. (laughs) You wonder why. uh, 300,000 people. He answered, I tell you that these were silent the stones would shout out. As he came near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, If you, even you, had only recognized on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Indeed, the days will come unto you when your enemies will set up ramparts round you and surround you and hem you in on every side. They will crush you to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave within you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation from God. So, Jesus is telling... Well, let me start with the Pharisees. The Pharisees are... They're in the crowd. It's, it's out of hand as far as they're concerned. Oh, yeah. And they're saying, okay, look, teacher... Uh, and I imagine and they called him teacher. Yeah, I imagine they say that sarcastically. That's my imagination speaking. But, okay. You know, like teacher, order your disciples to stop. This is ridiculous. This is chaotic. And Jesus' response is, if they were silent, the stones would shout out. Now, why did he say that? Because the prophecy said there would be a proclamation of Hosanna, King of the Jews. It couldn't be stopped. Right. So it had to happen because prophecy said so. Yes. And then Jesus, as he comes near the city, he weeps over the city, and then he talks about its destruction. Well, Rick, I'm confused. It sounds like everyone has called him their savior. And why is he saying he's been rejected here? Well, because inevitably he will be temporarily rejected and the result of that. So this is, see, this is the path to deliverance. The path to deliverance is not, hey, here I am, everybody accepts, we take over, and life is good. Well, the scribes and Pharisees obviously didn't. No, no, they didn't. And they led the reject to the rejection of Jesus later on. But interestingly, though, he explains how Jerusalem is going to be taken down and taken apart. And in AD 70, what he said here actually happened. You're right. So he was giving a prophecy to say that even though I'm being lauded by the people now, there's going to come a time of great sorrow and great destruction and great dispersion of God's chosen people, Israel, for centuries. So he is telling them that the path to deliverance is long and arduous. Yes. So he's putting things in place. Now, just want to touch back on the... um, the soundbite uh, back to Marantha Chapel TV. Remember we were talking about in the first hour, Lamb Selection Day? That's right, bringing the lamb in for f- the four days. Right, so yeah. in the Old Testament, this is what they did, and they, mm-hmm. the lamb became part of the family, and they inspected it, and they watched it very carefully right. for those four days. Well, now, in, in, that, in that particular sermon, he's, he's drawing the, the conclusion toward Jesus being tested for four days as well. And do you know that after Palm Sunday, Lamb Selection Day, 
For the next four days, Jesus spent every waking moment in the temple being tested, challenged, and inspected by the religious leaders to trap him, uh, to get him to say something, uh, to find some fault with him, to get him to, to do something against the law. They tested him to find a blemish in him. And in the end of the four days, all of them said, we can't, even Pilate said, I've inspected him, I've grilled him, I've beaten him, I find no fault in this man. I think that's a striking similarity that we may not think of that's too right. often. That's right. He, and he did. Jesus did spend his last four days essentially in the temple preaching and teaching and being challenged and tested. And the end result was in order to get him crucified, they had to make up false testimony. That's right. So there was no fault in him. He was the perfect lamb of deliverance. And it could be proven that he was the perfect lamb of de- deliverance by those th- the effects of what was happening there. Jonathan, let's go to the phones. All right. Well, we have Julius from Connecticut. Good morning, Julius, and welcome to Christian Questions. Gentlemen, good morning. Good morning. Yeah, uh, going back to uh, what you were saying at the beginning about the Old and the New Testament, there is a, there is a saying that thrills me. Uh, it just corroborates the, uh, the beauty, the harmony of the Bible and its preservation throughout the ages. Uh, the saying goes, the New Testament is hidden in the Old, and the Old is revealed in the New. How true. Yeah, I, I like that. Uh, whoever thought of that uh, clever, very uh, true idea. Uh, challenge of our day, of the Lord's day, our Lord Jesus. What a great challenge to identify, you know, to be recognized as the Son of God, you know, on different occasions. We, we, we uh, note that, and you mentioned it also. Uh, that is why, you know, I think uh, an occasional miracle, like uh, case in point, the uh, raising of Lazarus from the dead, uh, was necessary to uh, to establish a foundation for the early church. I think that was a necessary thing. And yet, on the other hand, there's no magic with God. Uh, you know, our Lord Jesus, in his temptations on the uh, Matthew 4 account, in his, his, his three temptations, mm-hmm. he referred to uh, Deuteronomy. Yes. You know, there's no magic to it. He studied God's Word. And finally, uh, the, ra- the raising of Lazarus, uh, it should be noted grammatically correct that, uh, uh, you know, I think it's important to note that Lazarus was resuscitated, com- contrasted with the resurrection, uh, resurrecting somebody. You know, that applies in the future when the people will be resurrected and thus uh, will live on as long as obedient eternally. Uh, Lazarus resuscitated. He died again, didn't he? Yes. So uh, this, I like that comparison. I think it's uh, it, it may be a valid one to make. Thank you. God bless. Thank you, Julius. Appreciate your call. Have a good day. Bye bye. Bye bye. You can tell Julius is a Bible student uh, as he he talks about making sure you get that grammatically right, you know, with the raising of Lazarus versus resurrection. And those are two very different things. He's right. He's right on that. Uh, And and, and he's also right about the fact that the Old Testament uh, is revealed in the New Testament. And that's exactly what the Passover is about. The Passover is there and it shows deliverance, but it's about a world-shattering deliverance that's to happen later. 
And that's why it was there in its form, so we could see it and appreciate it and have it reminded year after year after year after year. And now that Jesus has come, we can see the fulfillment and the beginning of its of the true, true path of deliverance. Julius, thanks so much for the call. We appreciate it. So, Jonathan, we have this, uh, this the, the path of deliverance that we're talking about. Folks, if you have a thought, it's 866-985-4255, toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now. We want to hear what you have to say about today's topic. Post your comments on our Facebook page and our blog. Go to ChristianQuestions.com. And don't forget Secret Rewind. You want to check it out. It's available only at ChristianQuestions.com. It is a free service. You can do the summary edition right there on the website. Or you can sign up for the full edition. That's what we recommend. It gives you a lot of things that you just won't get anyplace else. Lots of bonus material. Secret Rewind. The full edition available only exclusively at ChristianQuestions.com. And it is free. So, Jonathan, again, let's get back to the path of deliverance. You're running a little bit behind. Exodus 12, 8 and 10. They shall eat the flesh that same night, roasted with fire, and they shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall not leave any of it until morning, but whatever is left of it until morning, you shall burn it with fire. So, a couple of points there, roasted with fire, the unleavened bread, bitter herbs, you get a sense of struggle and difficulty. Yes. Okay? And none of it's left over, it's all consumed. Well, Hebrews 5, 7 through 9, is Jesus fulfilling that in his person. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. All right, so Jesus, uh, prayers and supplications, it was difficult, and, and he was heard. And, but what happens next in the next verse? Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered, and having been made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. So he became the source of eternal salvation, the Lamb of God, the, the Passover Lamb, because he was obedient to the will of God. So, Jonathan, we have a little mathematical equation here. Loud cries and tears plus reverent submission plus learned obedience equals the source of eternal salvation. So the path of deliverance comes through great suffering. Yes. That's the bottom line. That's the point. And the Old Testament pictures continue to be fulfilled as a result. Let's look at Numbers 9.12. They shall leave none of it until morning, nor break a bone of it, according to all the statute of the Passover. They shall observe it. So part of the rule for the sacrificing of that Passover lamb is you don't break any of its bones. No. Well, let's look at John 19.32 and 33, New Testament fulfillment of that Old Testament requirement. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first man and the other who was crucified with him. But coming to Jesus, when they saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. So, again, coincidence that there was not a bone of his body broken? I think not. Of course not. It was in fulfillment of what the Old Testament Passover picture was showing Jesus would be. The Lamb of God. That takes away the sin of the world. The path for the deliverer was one of pain, burden, humiliation, and treachery. And again, one last prophecy on this that is very dramatic in how it describes the pain and difficulty. He was despised and rejected by others, a man of suffering, acquainted with infirmity. And as one from whom others hid their face, he was despised. And we held him of no account. And when you think about Jesus on the cross, how people hid their face from him, because the leader, the great leader just a week before, 
is now being looked at, down upon with shame and, and, and people are disowning <sighs> themselves from him. Surely he has borne our infirmities and carried our diseases, yet we accounted him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. And how soon we forget the great deliverance in this last part of the verse. But he was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that made us whole, and by his bruises we are healed. So again, you get the sense that even in spite of all these things, that Passover lamb that was sacrificed, Jesus did provide deliverance through suffering. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject, Palm Sunday. What is the real story? Israel was only saved because of the firstborn. So what does that mean in the New Testament? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, Palm Sunday. What is the real story? To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now. And our website, ChristianQuestions.net. And Jonathan, as we go through the account of the Passover in the Old Testament, we are looking at it and relaying it to the account of the last week of Jesus. And there is a remarkable picture being shown in the Old Testament, being fulfilled in the New Testament. But the fulfillment isn't just all immediate. No, it's not. Because remember, the, how, how did Jesus deliver them? Well, he, 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 he paid the price, but the results of that paid price have not yet been seen. Right. But they're beginning to be seen through the, the, the deliverance of the firstborn. So let's go back and just wrap up the account, if you will, of Palm Sunday from the four Gospels uh, with just a few verses here. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil, asking, Who is this? The crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. The Pharisees said to one another, You see... You can do nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. <laughs> it's like, oh, we can, there's nothing we can do here. It's, 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 it's too, over. Right, it's too big, it's too dramatic. Now, of course, they, they did win that little, little tiny period of time with the crucifixion, mm-hmm. but that was also part of the plan of God, so no, they really didn't. They didn't, no. <laughs> but uh, it puts it in perspective that Jesus had the power to draw the people to him. And what did he do with that power? He gave everything in sacrifice as he was supposed to. That's what he did with it. Let's go to Exodus twelve eleven and then get into this, this, this idea of, of how the firstborn function in the Old Testament and the New Testament and what it really means for everybody else. Now you shall eat it in this manner, with your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Because the nation was being prepared to be delivered after the firstborn were delivered. That's right. Now, and Jonathan, as we go through the Old Testament and the New Testament, I think it's important to try to put it in order uh, because we're drawing very specific correlations. We are. Okay, so you have the Passover lamb. That pictures... Jesus. Very, very clearly. When we talk about the firstborn being delivered by the blood, who are we talking about in the New Testament? The church of the firstborn. Which is true Christianity, not those in name only, but true followers, disciples of Christ, even unto death. And it says, if you be Christ, and that word is anointed, and we know that the anointing of the Holy Spirit 
is a sign that we are the Lord's. Right, right. So you have the church of the firstborn uh, shown in the firstborn. Yes. You have all of the nation of Israel. What would we say the nation of Israel represents when you look at it from the standpoint of the New Testament? We believe it represents the whole world. Being able to be delivered from Pharaoh. Mm -hmm. Now Pharaoh, who do we think is represents? Satan. Because Pharaoh was ruling with an iron hand, God. Remember, we talked about in our in our in our series on on should you not be a Christian? Mm-hmm. Um, the, the scripture, the question. Well, you know, God hardened Pharaoh's heart, mm-hmm. but the the word really means God gave Pharaoh's heart a, a chance to express itself. That's right, and obviously Satan. Exactly. Was the same thing. God exactly did the same thing with Satan. So Pharaoh is a great picture of Satan ruling over the world of mankind. And, and Egypt pictures the, the minions of Satan's realm. So you have Satan ruling the world, Israel, keeping them in the bondage of sin and death. Yes. You have the firstborn delivered by the blood. Remember, the blood is applied to the door as That's a right. sign. And then because the firstborn is delivered... The rest of the world, Israel, follows. Yes. Now, does that all fit? Well, let's take a look. Let's go now to the New Testament. And folks, if you have a thought, I know that was a, that was a mouthful right there. Yes. But if you have a thought, and that's why you want CQ Rewind, the full edition. Absolutely. Okay, because it's going to put it and, on paper, because you're going to say, wait, wait, all, what did they say? How did they get there? It'll all be listed out. It's easy to read. Then you can listen and read at the same time, and maybe it'll make a little bit more sense. And that's available only where? At ChristianQuestions.com. And you can sign up, and it is a free service. Okay, let's look at the firstborn from the standpoint of the New Testament, from Romans chapter 8, because I think this really helps to tie the two together. Romans eight fourteen to 25. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery, leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption, as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. And, and Jonathan, just i got to interrupt you there for a minute, because it talks about you not, again, received the spirit of slavery. Israel was in slavery. slavery, and it says all who are led by the Spirit of God, just like you were saying, mm-hmm. the Spirit is the, is, 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 the, is, is the marker, if you will. They are the sons of God. The Spirit itself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. So it's talking about to true followers of Christ having a special relationship with God through Christ. Yes. If, if children, heirs also of God and fellow heirs with Christ, fellow inheritors with Christ... And again, it reminds me of that, that promise given to Abraham. That's right. It, to the, in thee and thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Inher- is that promise. Right. Inheriting the ability to bless. Wow. Okay. Now, again, let's go back. We touched on these scriptures earlier, but let's go back to the Old Testament. Uh, uh, Exodus 13, 1 and 2. This is right after God tells them how the Passover is supposed to work. This is what he says. And here's what you're going to do after that. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whoever is the first to open the womb among the Israelites of human beings and animals is mine. So consecrate to me, set apart to me. For holy service. The firstborn. Now, when we look at that and we say, all right, the firstborn, the firstborn, the firstborn. I mean, it's all about the firstborn. And again, we touched on it in the first hour, but let's go back to it. 1 Corinthians 5, 7. For our Passover also hath been sacrificed, even Christ. So, 
that is saying that the Passover was given for the deliverance from death for the firstborn. Yes. So the blood of Jesus was put in place to first deliver the firstborn, true followers of Christ, from mm-hmm. death. Yes. So that's the first step, but there's more to it. It doesn't end there. And see, I think so often we look at the deliverance of Christianity and we say, okay, if you're a Christian, you can be delivered, and great, it's wonderful, you know, you're safe now. But there's more to the story. There's more to the Old Testament account. There's more to the... Um, uh, to the fulfillment in the New Testament, because what happens after the firstborn are delivered, the nation is freed as well. That's right. So how does that fit into the New Testament? Well, let's take a look. Let's go back to uh, uh, Romans chapter 8. Let's pick up with verse uh, verse 19. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. All right, now let's, let's, let's pause there just for a second. The anxious longing of the creation of the world of the world of mankind waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. Can you imagine the anticipation on the part of Israel, the nation of Israel, that night to see if the firstborn in their household would still be alive by morning? Oh, that would be huge. They're waiting. They're waiting to see, to have the firstborn revealed to them as having been delivered. So once the firstborn had been delivered in the original Passover, then the next step would be that the rest of them could now have their deliverance from the, the iron grip of Satan. Pharaoh. That's right. All right. So, I, I mean, I don't know about you, but this, this is getting exciting. <laughs> and what we just read, uh, the world waits eagerly for the revealing of the church of the firstborn. Right, right. The church, the sons of God, the, the church of, of the God. firstborn. So, all the pieces are fitting together. Now, let's continue with uh, Romans chapter 8. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Now, when you read that, Jonathan, it's not a coincidence that it's using slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. It's referring directly back to this picture of the, the Passover. Passover. It is. It's giving us a real sense of the magnitude of the of the, the plan of deliverance. Folks, if you have a thought, it's 866-985-4255. Toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now. If you have any questions on our subject, call us or ask your questions at ChristianQuestions.com or go to our Facebook or email us at Rick at ChristianQuestions.net. And, and Jonathan, the interesting thing is, it says the creation was subjected to futility. Imagine being in, in Israel while they're in Egypt. At the beginning, they they were fine. There was no there was no slavery. That's right. I think it was the last 142 years they were in slavery, if I remember right. But the slavery develops, and they're subjected to it. They, I mean, they're just going about their own business. But they're subjected to it because of Him who subjected them in hope. In other words, God allowed it. So the hope of deliverance would be real to them when it finally came around. Mm -hmm. So the world is going along, going about their business, subject to sin and death and misery. But it's all done because there's hope later of deliverance. That's the point. That's what the Passover was for. It was not only to deliver the firstborn, but the rest of the nation to follow. Let's go back to Exodus 12, 12. For I go through the land of Egypt on that night, and will strike down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both men and beasts, 
and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment I am the Lord so when here you have a real sense of that at the striking down of the firstborn you know the the, the vengeance of God upon evil and upon Satan is going to begin to happen mm-hmm. now it's interesting Egypt and Satan aren't Satan especially is not destroyed at this moment no but there is going to be a release from the grip of Satan yes and the release happens in two steps the first step is the deliverance of the firstborn the second step is once the firstborn have all been delivered then you have the deliverance of the nation which represents the world, the world. so and again now we go back to Romans 8 and it, that's essentially what it tells us for we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now and not only this but we also ourselves having the first fruits of the spirit even we ourselves grown within ourselves waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons the redemption of our body so what we're saying is that this in in that one night in the picture of the passover we're saying the fulfillment of that actually takes a couple of thousand years yes it does <laughs> so you get oh it kind of messes things up it's like you're talking about minutes mean you know years and years and years and really that is the truth but it's giving us a sense of the order of events for salvation to come through the sacrifice of Jesus. For all mankind. And it happens through the church of the firstborn first, just like in the Passover. They were delivered through the blood of the Lamb, the blood of Christ first. But because they are delivered, because the sacrifice was made, therefore the nation of Israel, that we think pictures the world, will also be delivered from the same sickness and death. It, 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 it puts things in a, into a perspective that says there is hope. And as a matter of fact, when you go further in Romans chapter 8, what's the next verse? For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. So it, and to translate that, Jonathan, I think what, what that's telling us is, look, the, the, the story is not yet complete. But we know, based on prophecy, based on the, the, the scriptures, we know what is to come. So we can hope in that and see how it will unfold as time travels on. And so we can grasp the magnitude of this Passover. It delivered the firstborn, and that was magnificent. It was. But that was the trigger to deliver the nation. And so, in a sense, the Pharisees were actually prophetic in their exasperation. <laughs> well, they uh, were. Sunday. well they just were. read John twelve nineteen one one more time. The Pharisees then said to one another, You see, you can do nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. And the, what that is going to be is an actual fulfillment because the world will be delivered as a result of the deliverance of the church of the firstborn, the true followers of Christ, so that they can be in place to inherit the promise, to be blessers along with the seed of Abraham, and put things in perspective all because of the sacrifice of Jesus. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, Palm Sunday. What is the real story? Coming up, the Passover experience is a picture-perfect parallel to the crucifixion's reality. This is big. That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. Welcome back. This 
is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, Palm Sunday. What is the real story? To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now on our website, ChristianQuestions.com. And Jonathan, we are going through, I think, just a, a marvelous, marvelous account of the uh, Old Testament uh, and the Passover and the New Testament fulfillment in Jesus and the part uh, true Christianity plays and the benefit that the actual the world actually receives. Yes. It's breathtaking. It and, is. And, and again, folks, a lot, we were talking during the break, there's a lot of details in this program. It's a very scripture-intense program, so we want to really encourage you to go to ChristianQuestions.net or ChristianQuestions.com. Sign up for our CQ Rewind, the full edition, so you can get all those scriptures fully quoted out for you, so you can see the reasoning and see the understanding, and hopefully it makes a little bit more sense that way. It's a free service. That's right. Only at ChristianQuestions.com. Uh, Jonathan, let's go to the phones before we take up the next point. All right, we have Randall from Connecticut. Good morning, Randall, and welcome to Christian Questions. Good morning. Holy Sunday, guys. To you, too. We have John nineteen twenty-eight. Jesus said, I thirst. Elie Wiesel was forced to watch a child hanged in the concentration camp as he dangled for a half hour, tongue red, in slow agony. Behind Wiesel, he heard a voice asking, where is God now? But within Wiesel, he heard a voice to answer, Here he is, hanging on the gallows. Matthew twenty-seven forty-six. Jesus cried out in a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In this year of Newtown, Syria, and countless unnamed sorrows, we know that we have a Savior who knows the darkest of moments. We have a Savior who suffers for our sins, but we have a Savior who knows what it means to call out in faith. We know the resurrection. Luke twenty-three forty-six. Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Randall, thanks so much. We appreciate it. God bless you guys. Take care. Puts it in perspective, you know, gives you a sense of the uh, of, of the the ignominy and, and struggle and, uh, and strife of Jesus. And as a matter of fact, next week, Jonathan, we're really going to do a uh, a very um, very straightforward presentation on the death and resurrection of Jesus. And it's my it, you know it's the hardest program of the year to put together, but it's my favorite program because it tells the greatest story ever told. Uh, according to scripture and, and, and the effects it has on all of us. So Randall, thanks so much for those, uh, those reminders about that great story and that is coming up next week. You don't want to miss that one. So Jonathan, we see that Palm Sunday came and went essentially and Jesus did win over the crowds. He did. So now you'd think that uh, he'd want to win over the Pharisees. Before, actually, before we get to that though, a few other quick uh, points from the Passover and, and the crucifixion, just to give you a sense of, of some of the other parallels we just didn't have any time to discuss. Well, the angel of death came at midnight, and Jesus' enemies came for him at Gethsemane late at night. Likely it was midnight. Likely around the same time. Yep. Co- coincidence? I think not. <laughs> All right. Another, another one. The priest would sprinkle blood and water on the altar. Blood and water came from Jesus' side. And remember, hanging on the cross, that's, uh, he bled blood and water, and that is the symptom of a literally a burst or a broken heart. That's right. And the, the last one? As a father would tear his robes at the death of his son, 
The curtain was torn in the most holy place inside the temple. Because remember, there was after the crucifixion, after Jesus died, there was an earthquake. That's right. And that earthquake caused the 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 uh, the, the curtain in the temple to to rent. Rip right down, right, right down the side, and, and it just gives you a sense. Remember, because Jesus said, "You know, my, this is my Father's house," so it gives you a sense that of of the of the uh, the degree of of uh, difficulty this whole experience brought on. And, and you know, he, how do you win over your enemies? Now, Jesus had won over the crowd. You'd think he'd go to try to win over the Pharisees. So, what does he do the next morning? He goes into the temple and he creates. Havoc. Let's go back again to the movie Jesus of Nazareth and listen to uh, what's happening when Jesus is in the temple clearing it out. just gives you a sense right there. Uh, Jesus went in and he cleared out the temple. Now, is that the way to win over your enemies? Uh, I don't think so. But that is the way to show that you are the lamb that is pure to do the will of God. The, the sinless will of... Uh, the, the, the sinless individual doing the will of God is what I'm trying to say. That's right. So, he in, in Matthew 21, it says in the morning, he goes to the city, he becomes hungry. Remember, he cursed the fig tree? That's right. And, uh, and then he enters the temple. And let's just read that. Mark fa- chapter 11, verses 15 to 17. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of money changers and the seats of those who were selling the doves and would not permit anyone to carry merchandise through the temple. And he began to teach and say to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. But you have made it robbers, a robber's den. So Jesus is saying, I'm restoring in, in a figure, because he's not going to be there a few days later, but I'm restoring the temple to what it's supposed to be, a house of prayer. You've made it into a den of thieves. And what was happening is the money changers were, were, were committing usury. They were, they were taking advantage of the average person. They were. They were uh, gouging the public. You know what happens when, when, when there's a, when there's a, uh, a tragedy and you know there's gas prices suddenly skyrocketing. There's you know? a high demand. Right. Yeah. And 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 you know some merchants who just don't have any conscience decide that wow I can make a bunch of money here and yeah. I can charge I'll pay whatever. Yeah. You know I I can charge you know fifteen dollars for a, a couple of uh, AAA batteries. You know we would not stand for such a thing. But the people then because they didn't understand the money changing system and all of that mm-hmm. they were just being they were being gouged. And Jesus would not have it. So in, in that soundbite, you hear the, 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 those were the tables being knocked over and the money being scattered. And, yeah. oh, my money, my money. And, and it's interesting. It says that, you know, he's doing all of that. Uh, and, um, he, uh, and he knocked over the seats of those who were selling doves. Yep. You notice he didn't set the doves free? No, he didn't. He just knocked over their seats. Mm-hmm. And I think that's interesting because all of the other things could be recovered. If you let the doves go... Yeah, you can't recover. They fly away. That's it. They're gone. So Jesus was saying, "Here, 
sort out your mess, but I'm not doing it to damage you. I'm doing it to stop the thievery in my father's house. And the poor could only afford right. the dove. So he, so even in his anger against that, that sinfulness that was happening there, he had a compassion that protected those who were uh, innocent. So Jesus takes over. And, I mean, he, he kind of like holds the temple hostage almost. Yeah. All right. Now, so what does he do? You know, he, okay, so he, you know, it's like, almost like a military coup without the military. <laughs> so he's there. What does he do? Well, let's look at Matthew chapter 21, verses 14 to 17. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he had done, and the children who were shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they became indignant and said to him, Do you hear what these children are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never read? Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have prepared praise for yourself. And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany and spent the night there. So he spends the day in the temple after he clears the place out of all of the corrupt activity. He goes in there and what does he do? He starts healing. He heals and he teaches. That's right. And he heals and he teaches. So he brings the people to him and he restores the temple to what it's there for as a service to the people to bring them to God. I mean, we, you think about that, and, and, and the Pharisees are all indignant. And why do they get indignant? Because the children are still shouting from the day before, Hosanna to the Son of David. You know, save us to the Son of David. You know, save us, save us. And they said, oh, didn't we have enough of that yesterday? You know, <laughs> enough already. Stop. But Jesus will not stop the work that he was called upon to do. Well, what was the reaction of his enemies, Rick? Uh, in Mark eleven eighteen, the chief priests and the scribes heard this and began seeking how to destroy him. For they were afraid of him, for the whole crowd was astonished at his teaching. So they now began in earnest to find a way to end this now. It's interesting because Hosanna means save us now, mm -hmm. and the Pharisees' direct reaction were, was, end this now. Good point. They were saying, enough, we've had enough. And remember, this really started to move into high gear back at the, res at the, at the raising of Lazarus. Mm -hmm. Because when Lazarus was raised, it was such a dramatic event. The man had been dead for over four days. And uh, it was done out in public, out where everybody could see. And it, it, it created such a stir, stir that brought the hundreds of thousands to follow Jesus into the city just the day before this. And so they're saying to themselves, they, there's too much stacked against them. And they're saying, we, we've got to stop this. This has to end right now. We can't afford to let this guy take our position. So they're taking the Son of God, they're taking their Messiah, and they're reducing him to some guy who's causing trouble. Unbelievable. It, it, and, 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 and that is what would bring Jesus to his eventual uh, crucifixion, but again, all within the will of God because of the price needed to be paid. So their reaction was, okay, let's end this now. Just like the crowd was saying, save us now. They're saying, end this now. Romans 8, 31 to 39. So, so what, what do we learn from all of this? How do, we, how do we put this all in perspective for our own lives? And what do we walk away from with this, this, this experience uh, this morning on Palm Sunday? What then shall we say to these things? See, what do we say to these things? You know, wh how, how do we make them stick? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. How will he not also, 
with him freely give us all things. So here's the point, Jonathan. The point of Palm Sunday is that Jesus rides in victorious. He is proclaimed as the Messiah. He's proclaimed as the King. He, he, is, he is given all honor and all respect. But it eventually turned to his death. And it says God gave his son. He delivered his son over to the enemy so that he could be crucified, so that we could be saved. For us all. Because the lamb was, the, the blood of the lamb was the required sacrifice to deliver first the firstborn and then the rest of the nation, therefore the rest of the world. So let, let's jump down to Romans 8, uh, 35 to 39. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword, just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered a sheep to be slaughtered. So there's a, a secondary picture, if you will, of, of our responsibility to be followers of Christ, to be able to be willing to follow in his footsteps, and he was a sheep to be slaughtered. Mm-hmm. And we also, if we are true Christians, ought to be walking in those very footsteps. So, what separates from the love of us from the love of Christ? Well, if we're doing that, if our mind is set that way, then, and now let's continue the verse. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, the story, Jonathan, ends here by saying that we have the responsibility to stay close. And because we know the plan, because we have the hope, because we have Jesus already having paid the price, already having been the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world already having his blood shed, therefore the price for the sin of Adam canceled and put in place, we can now continue to give our lives in sacrifice as Jesus did. Now, of course, we don't do what Jesus did. That's right. And our sacrifice doesn't mean what Jesus' sacrifice meant. No. But we're required to be footstep followers so that we can be faithful and by, through God's grace, be delivered. And then, once all of the true church is delivered, the deliverance of the rest of the nation, the rest of the world, will indeed follow. How do we know? Because the scriptures tell us so. For Jonathan and Rick, it's Christian Questions on this Palm Sunday. We hope you've enjoyed being with us. We certainly have enjoyed being with you. And again, we want to remind you to check us out at ChristianQuestions.com. Uh, to sign up for CQ Rewind, especially the full edition at Christian Questions. And also leave your comments on Facebook. We'd love to hear from you there. This is an amazing story of amazing prophecies of the amazing plan of God of salvation for the world. Take it, read it, and believe it. For Jonathan and Rick, we'll be back next week. But till then, Palm Sunday, the real story. Think about it.